Well, good morning, church family, and I hope you all had a, just a pleasant uh, Christmas, and I hope you have a great uh, New Year's here in the next uh, uh, day or two. Um, do you believe in Santa Claus? Don't answer that out loud. Before you answer that, I want you to hear how someone answered that question because it's going to take us into our scripture for this morning. G.K. Chesterton lived about 100 years ago. He's a great writer uh, from England, uh, the Father Brown Mysteries. He wrote other books, uh, Orthodoxy, The Everlasting Man, his book about Jesus. And he was once asked that question. As an adult, do you still believe in Santa Claus? And here's what he had to say. When it comes to believing in Santa Claus, what's happened to me is the reverse of what's happened to my friends. Instead of dwindling to a point, Santa Claus has grown larger and larger in my life until he fills almost the whole of it. And it happened in this way. He said, as a child, I faced this phenomenon, this amazing phenomenon that required explanation. I hung up at the end of my bed an empty stocking which in the morning became a full stocking, and I had done absolutely nothing to produce the things that filled it. I hadn't worked for them. I hadn't made them. I hadn't helped to make them. I hadn't even been good. Far from it. (laughs) And the explanation was that a certain benevolent person whom people called Santa Claus did this, 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 this generous someone gave us those toys for nothing. I believe it still. I have merely extended the idea. You see, as a boy, I only wondered who put the toys in the stocking. But as an adult, I now wonder who put the stocking by the bed and who put the bed in the room and who put the room in the house And who put the house on the planet? And who put the great planet in the void? Once I only thanked Santa Claus for a few dollars and crackers. Now I thank him for stars and street faces and wine and the great sea. Once I thought it delightful and astonishing to find a present so big that it only went halfway into the stocking. Now I'm delighted and astonished every morning to find a present so big that it takes two stockings to hold it and then leaves a great deal outside. It is the large and preposterous present of myself. As to the origin of which, I can offer no suggestion except that Santa Claus gave it to me in a fit of remarkably fantastic goodwill. (laughs) So there you go. Now, do you believe in Santa Claus? You see, I get to the end of this article, and I realize, well, he's not talking about Santa Claus. He's talking about our amazing, awesome God. And it's this 
confessional praise that just bursts out of G.K. Chesterton's mouth. Praise and awe of who God is and what he's done and what he's made and, and, and why he would do such a thing. Why he would do such a thing. Well, that takes us to the passage of Scripture that I want us to consider this morning because I want us to look at, a, at some verses from the Old Testament book of Psalms which, which encourage us and affirm us and challenge us toward this confessional praise, this absolute abiding astonishment at this great God that we worship. Take your Bibles and turn to the Old Testament book of Psalms, chapter 136. Psalm 136. You'll find that on page 443 of your church Bibles. And um, we are going to participate in the reading of this psalm together as a congregation. And we're going to do this as a congregation because that's, that's what we learn God's people did concerning this psalm when they gathered in ages past. You'll notice just glancing at this psalm that in every verse of Psalm 136, there is this refrain, his love endures forever. His love endures forever. And so what I'd like for us to do as a congregation is, I'd like for us to read this um, in an antiphonal manner. What? You know what I'm talking about. When you go to the assembly hall and they yell at the top of their lungs, I-L-L, you got it. That's antiphonal. Jeff knows. And so what I'd like for us to do, this side of the aisle here on the speaker's left, your right, I'd like for this half to read the first section of the psalm and then uh, on the speaker's right, your left here, you're going to echo with his love endures forever. All right? Now let's just practice that for just a moment here. Do a little rehearsal before we go through the entire psalm. Are you ready? One, two, three. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Excellent. Good. Okay. I think we're ready to go here. All right? And I want you to belt it out like God's people of old did. Psalm 136. Here we go. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, his love endures forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens, his love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters, his love endures forever. Who made the great lights, his love endures forever. The sun to govern the day, his love endures forever. The moon and stars to govern the night, his love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, his love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, his love endures forever. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm, his love endures forever. 
To him who divided the Red Sea asunder, his love endures forever. And brought Israel through the midst of it, his love endures forever. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea, his love endures forever. To him who led his people through the desert, his love endures forever. Who struck down the great kings, his love endures forever. And killed mighty kings, his love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, his love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, his love endures forever. And gave their land as an inheritance, his love endures forever. An inheritance to his servant Israel, his love endures forever. To the one who remembered us in our low estate, his love endures forever. And freed us from our enemies, his love endures forever. And gives food to every creature, his love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, his love endures forever. This is God's word. Amen. Wow. That's how they would have recited God's word in days of old. Of course, you know, they wouldn't have had the PowerPoint. (laughs) And they wouldn't have had even the Bibles in the pouches. They would have had it memorized. The whole song. How could they do that? (laughs) Well, take a look at the psalm. There's one big governing idea that dominates the entire psalm. And that one big idea is woven into the fabric of a story. Story of God's dealings with his people. And stories are easy to remember and recall, aren't they? So we're going to talk about that idea. And we're going to talk about that story. First, the idea, the big idea, the one governing truth that dominates Psalm 136. You know what it is, don't you? What is it? His love endures forever. Yeah, I don't even need to put a slide up. You got it. His love, literally, literally, his love has no end. And even more literally, his chesed has no end. His chesed, that amazing Hebrew word that we became very familiar with earlier this year when we studied the book of Ruth. Ruth's remarkable life was really but a story of of God's chesed. Chesed, very, very difficult Hebrew word to translate into just one English word because it is so multifaceted and multidimensional. There's so many different sides to this word chesed. That's why some of your versions have the word love, as we read here in the New International Version. Other translations or other times that the word chesed appears contains the word loving kindness or mercy 
or active care or steadfast love or active mercy. Chesed, describing the undeserved, unearned, loving kindness shown to someone in the midst of their most desperate situation. That word chesed, it tells about someone who cares about you and freely makes it their business to look after you when they don't have to. Chesed, it describes it describes how in my extreme hopelessness, someone steps up who has the power and has the resources to meet my hope and make a difference. Chesed. Chesed is a word that does not call for a committee to gather around a table and discuss an issue. Chesed is an action word. It's about deliverance from dire straits. And so it's no surprise that in Psalm 136, action verbs abound. God made. God spread out. God struck down. God brought. God swept. God killed. God gave. God freed. Hesed isn't about talking. It's about doing. It's about action. And chesed is the cause and the reason behind everything that God does for his people. Chesed is God's heart motive. And whenever we deal with God, we're dealing with chesed. And everything that you will ever learn about the God we worship is simply a deepening layer and level of chesed. And so, more than anything else, God wants us to learn. Intentionally, this phrase His chesed endures forever is the foundation upon which each verse rests. And intentionally, this phrase is woven into the fabric of this psalm as if to remind the congregation that woven into the fabric of every part of your life and my life, good and bad, hopeful and hopeless, woven into that into the Good Fridays of your life and the Resurrection Sundays of your life and the quiet, silent Saturdays is God's chesed. His chesed, his love endures forever. That's the big idea. Now for the story. You see, the story answers this question. Where do we see God's chesed God's love, God's endless mercy, where do we see that in life? And the psalmist tells us. We see it in creation, verses 1 through 9. We see it in God's deliverance of his people from their enemies, verses 10 through 22. And we see it here and now, today, by God's sustaining presence. Creation, deliverance, Sustaining presence. Let's talk about creation for just a moment. That's what dominates verses 1 through 9. As we are given 
in these first nine verses a very fast flyover of the book of Genesis and the creation accounts. We're giving thanks to the God of gods and the Lord of lords who alone does great wonders and who alone created all that we see. Now, Monday night at our Christmas Eve service, it was such a, well, you have, you have already said, so, some of you have said, Randy, you know, Monday night's Christmas Eve service was, I mean, it was just the most moving Christmas Eve service. And I think many of you were talking about this wonderful painting that uh, Kelly Kirchhofer from our Family Life Ministry staff um, you know, she began with a, a, just a, a, a white canvas. And then as the service progressed, this painting developed. And here, you know, we thought it was the star at first over Bethlehem. And, of course, it was. But then near the end of the service, as we drew closer to our time of communion, here she pulled off the tape. And here, this guiding star was transformed by this artistic creativity into a a cross, a guiding cross, our North Star. And so many of you were just, you know, the creativeness and the artistry was just extraordinary. That's what you all said. And I would agree with you, and I would add that verses 1 through 9 are beyond extraordinary. As God, by his understanding, made the heavens, made all that we see. Several years ago, Richard Swenson, uh, Dr. Richard Swenson, a physician and um, former professor who taught medicine at the University of Wisconsin, uh, he came and spoke here at Windsor Road. He's written books such as Margin and the Overload Syndrome, really trying to encourage us as a Christian, as a physician, as a teacher, how important it is for us to slow down our lives in this fast-paced world. He has also written another book that I thought of when I read verses 5 and following, a book called More Than Meets the Eye, and he speaks of the wonders of creation and how that reveals this incredible God that we worship. And so when I read verse 5, who by his understanding made the heavens, I looked at Dr. Swenson's book and he described, well, his words are, the universe measures between 10 to 20 billion light years across. How do you wrap your brain around that? 10 to 20 billion. Well, I had to start with just Reminding myself how fast the speed of light is. Remember? How fast is the speed of light? 186,000 miles per second. Per second. What's a light year? The distance that light can travel in a year. At 186,000 miles per second. And it's between 10 to 20 billion light years across. We're not really even sure where the center of the universe is. And, you know, know, some think that we know where we are in that universe. I'm not sure. 
And then Swinson tells us the universe contains a trillion, trillion, trillion tons of matter. What? That's a lot. And then there are 10 to the 80th power number of elementary particles. 10 to the 80th power. And by his understanding, God knows precisely where the earth is, and he knows precisely where each one of those subatomic particles are at any given moment, any time of the day. By his understanding. And, and, and you might think, well, why would he care about that? And Swenson would say, stop thinking like a human. And start thinking like God and go to the dictionary and look up the word omniscient. He knows. He knows everything by his understanding. And then verse 8 speaks of the sun. The sun to govern the day. Swinson reminds us that we have a completely one-sided relationship with the sun. The sun gives and we take. That's the relationship. That's how it works. 99% of all of our usable energy we get from the sun. We intercept about one billionth of the sun's total solar energy output, and and that meets all of our needs. (laughs) In one second, in just one second, the sun will produce more energy than all of humanity has ever put out since the beginning of humanity. That's how powerful this sun is. Oh, and then what about verse 9? The moons and the stars to govern the night. You know, if the moon did not exist, the earth would spin three times faster than it does. Talk about a windy day. And the moon's orbit keeps us from drifting into Jupiter's orbit. And and Jupiter, we know, is more or less the, the vacuum sweeper of our galaxy, the, Jupiter has such a strong gravitational pull that the, the meteorites or asteroids that would put us on a collision course with us, Jupiter just sucks them right up. Jupiter's like the left tackle, protecting us from our blind side. Really. And the point is this. What's the point? The point is this. If God is that powerful, to create by his understanding the heavens and the sun and the moon and the stars, entities which the pagan nations worshipped as gods. God says, they're not gods. They're servants. They're my servants for my people. And if our God is that powerful to be able to know that much and to be able to control all of that, then why should we ever doubt his ability to order our lives. And why would he be concerned about our lives? You know, back to the big idea. His love endures forever. So if you want to know where you can see God's never-ending chesed, just go for a walk outside this afternoon. You'll see it. His love endures forever. But then the psalm continues through 
God's dealings with his people of old. And we leave the book of Genesis and we go and traverse through the books of, of Exodus and, and, and Numbers and, uh, and Joshua as we see that God showed his love in, in the places of deliverance with his people. We learn of how he rescued his people from Egyptian bondage and and. And look at these rather violent words here. He struck down the firstborn of Egypt. That that, that word means hit. God is a hitter. My mom always tell me, don't hit your brothers. God is a hitter. He hits, brought Israel out, divided the Red Sea, led his people, struck down the great kings. He hit the great kings. Killed the mighty kings, my goodness. There's a violence to the chesed of God. And then we meet these these, uh, pair of kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan. Who are they? Well, they are two stupid, foolish kings. As God's people, as they uh, left Egypt, went through the Red Sea, Brought out of the wilderness on their way to the promised land. Numbers chapter 21, 21 tells us of these two foolish kings. God's people just wanted to travel along the king's highway through their territory. God's people said, we don't want to drink your water. We are not going to eat your food. We just want to travel along the king's highway on the way to our promised land. Do you have a problem with that? And the king said, yes, we do have a problem with that. And we're going to take you out. And God said, no, you're not. It's not going to happen. And the Bible says that Israel put them to the sword and then took their land, you see. You see, there's a violence to the chesed of God. Rich Mullins put it this way. He described the reckless, raging fury that they call the love of God. There's a violence To God's mercy, Rich Mullins sang. Anybody remember that movie, Taken, with Liam Neeson? Huh? Remember that? Liam Neeson plays this former black ops government agent, and his daughter happened to be kidnapped, and, and... you know, by some happening, Liam Neeson finds himself on the phone with his daughter's abductor. Do you remember what he said? I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills Skills that I have acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that will be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. And I will find you. And I will kill you. You know, I never thought I'd be able to say a line like that in a place like this, but but I was wrong. But that's what's going on here. There is a violence to the chesed, love of God, just 
as a parent is fiercely protective of his or her child. So God is fiercely protective of his people. And you don't mess with my kid, God says. You don't mess with my firstborn, God said to Pharaoh, or I will mess with your firstborn. And of course, Pharaoh neglected that to his demise. But there's this fury to God's love. And that's what we want out of a heavenly father. Now, listen, chesed is not made of flannel. It's made of steel. It has teeth. It bites as God moves on behalf of his people. And, and, and so the congregation is remembering that, remembering how, how God, having created, steps onto the stage of creation to deliver his people from their enemies and put them into their inheritance with the land of promise. But then you see the psalm takes uh, really kind of an interesting turn in verse 23 because we go from the place of creation to the place of deliverance to the place of God's sustaining presence in verse 23 to the one who remembered us, us, So now the psalm is not just talking about those people over there. Then the psalm gets personalized. The congregation is saying, God, you've not just been faithful then. You're faithful now. You are faithful. Your chesed endures forever in the here and now. To the one who remembered us. And then there's this phrase, in our low estate. In our low estate. And we learn by this phrase, when this psalm was sung. And it was sung in the period of time after the exile. It's a post-exile or post-exilic psalm. In the Old Testament, when God's people entered the promised land, there was the period of The conquest with Joshua and then the judges and then there was the united kingdom with Saul and David and Solomon. That was the glory, the glory days of Israel as they were a power. But then after Solomon came the divided kingdom. Ten tribes to the north, two tribes to the south. And then because of utter wickedness, the Assyrian Empire came and swallowed up the ten northern tribes, and we, they just dissolved into history. And the two southern tribes, Benjamin and Judah, well, they learned a little bit, but not much. Because then the Babylonian Empire came and, and ripped the people away from the land and sent them into exile for seven decades. And parents and grandparents died in Babylon. And 70 years later, Their children, their grandchildren came and said, so this was the land where my grandfather and grandmother grew up and lived. Well, by then, the nation of Israel wasn't anywhere near the high estate that it had once been. They'd come back from exile, and yet they're able to sing this psalm. 
they're able to say to the one who remembered us in our low estate. What did they have when they came back to the land? They had two things. They had food and they had freedom. Verses 24 and 25. He's freed us from our enemies and he's given us food and food to every creature. That's all they had. That's how poor they were. You're so poor. How poor does someone have to be to just thank God for their freedom and thank God for food? Listen, if you wait until you have enough money to thank God, you'll never thank God. It's not going to happen. But here they were, grateful to God, absolutely confident that he who was faithful then with his chesed love is faithful now. And he is sustaining them with his sustaining presence. Hmm. It's true, Hesed is behind every single thought that God has to us. And what I want to tell you is that this psalm is not just for the people who sang it after the exile. It's for God's people who gather at a congregation called Windsor Road Christian Church. It's for us here today. We can thank God for his sustaining presence throughout our year. I know that some Americans are asking the question, where was God in Newtown, Connecticut? And that is an important and a highly charged emotional question. And I would say, right about now is the time to just cry and weep and mourn and comfort and just be present. There may come a time when, um, well, some people want to no, well, no, on a, on a thinking level, not just on a feeling level, on a thinking level, what, well, where was God? And when that time comes, when that time comes, might I suggest that we answer that question, say, the way G.K. Chesterton would? Hmm? Here's how I think he would answer the question, where was God in Newtown? He might answer it this way. Well, where was God when nine million planes landed safely in the United States this year? Where was God when no terrorist brought down a single American building or plane or industry? Where was God when the president was not shot at a thousand public appearances? Where was God when American farms in a drought produced 10 million bushels of corn and 2.8 million bushels of soybeans, enough food to sell $100 billion worth to other nations? Where was God when the sun maintained its heat and its gravitational pull precisely enough that we were not incinerated or frozen? Where was God when 300 million Americans drank water in homes and restaurants without getting sick? Where was God when no new plague swept away a 
third of our race? Where was God when Americans drove three trillion accident-free miles? And where was God when over three million healthy babies were born in America? And why? Well, you already know the answer to that question. Because his love endures forever. The God who creates, the God who redeems, the God who gives us his sustaining presence. Our three-in-one God appears in this psalm, right? God the Father creates all that we see. God the Son delivers and redeems us from our bondage. And he does so because because his son was taken. And his son was pinned to a Roman cross. And by his death, burial, and resurrection, we are safely brought into the land of promise, the new heavens and the new earth in new bodies. And in the meantime... While we wait for that day, God has given us his spirit who provides his sustaining presence until the day, the day. Our triune God, our three-in-one God. This is a very Trinitarian psalm. God the Father who creates. God the Son who delivers. God the Holy Spirit who provides his sustaining presence. No wonder God's people then and now can say confidently, can say with full hearts of joy, his love endures forever. Amen? Amen. Here's what we're going to do now. We're going to enter a time of communion where we... Do business with this amazing, creating, redeeming, sustaining God. And I don't want you to feel like you need to be a member at Windsor Road Christian Church to share in this time of communion. If you, if Jesus is your king, then it's his table and the emblems are open to you. So you come and you receive communion And then bring your offering with you if you have an offering to give to the Lord this morning and put those in the boxes around. And then what I'd like for you to do is to take these cards that you have here and on the back of this card, I I invite you to do this. You don't have to do this, but I think it would be, it was so beautiful to see this happening in first service, but I would like to encourage you to write a note of affirmation and encouragement to someone else in the family of God here at Windsor Road. Uh, And just a few lines to let them know how thankful you are to God because of God's hesed love through them. And I think it would be wonderful to see us all sharing in communion and offering and then writing your note and then just go hand deliver it. Don't try to mail it. Go deliver it. Just walk across the room and give it to that brother or sister in Christ. Or maybe they're in the nursery, uh, the early childhood uh, uh, care uh, that 
you just want to give that to them and love them. Maybe, maybe they're at home and the best thing you could do right now is to take communion, give your offering, write your note, and then just leave and go and give them this note. Maybe the person that you need to write that note to is sitting next to you because you had a little tiff on your way to church this morning. Okay? And maybe, that, maybe, maybe you need to do that first. Okay, maybe. Because, you know what? Communion can wait. And the offering can wait. That would be okay. You get reconciled. You encourage. And then you, uh, you, you continue your worship.